Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow our podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. We're available for you 24-7 on your platform of choice. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, there aren't that many new Jets updates as far as I'm concerned. I think the only new thing that came up was that Winnipeg has officially recalled Andre Chibasov and reassigned Cam Schilling to the Moose. Chibasov is kind of an interesting guy because he was one of the free agent signings during the offseason. He's a 26-year-old left wing uh, out of Russia, and on a fairly bad Moose team, Chibasov has been one of their most pr- productive, consistent scorers. Chibasov is kind of a big kid, uh, like I guess like a power winger type. I haven't gotten a chance to really see a whole lot of him, so most of what I hear is from scouting reports and, and some footage that was on YouTube from his KHL days. He definitely has some soft hands, and when he was playing here in preseason, I thought that he actually displayed pretty deft stick handling and some nice vision and passing. He's also an expiring asset at the end of the season, and if the Jets kind of want to see if he's like a, a long-term fourth-line option, they'll get a chance to so long as he gets to play over guys like Gabriel Bork and Logan Shaw. Maurice is probably not going to call on Chibasov all that much, but it'd be super great to see him get some NHL action, especially like his first official NHL game. I'd love to see that. In my mind, I feel like he actually has the exact kind of physical traits and playing style that uh, Paul Maurice would really adore. I I think Chibasov is the kind of player that Maurice loves to see. A big dude who can hit, has pretty decent hands, and can really just play well. He does have a tendency to rack up a lot of penalty minutes. He's got 73 so far with the Moose, which is not exactly a small amount, and if he wants to stay in this lineup long term, he's going to have to be a little bit careful about taking any minors. I can imagine a lot of those penalty minutes are coming from fights and stuff, but even still, he's got to be real careful. Maurice doesn't like young kids and, and rookies and stuff who start taking penalties. He's benched guys for it before, even if they're veteran players, although he usually won't bench like the most veteran guys like Blake Wheeler and stuff. Chipasov is kind of intriguing, but like, I I don't know if he's going to be a a major impact forward for this team. I mean, if nothing else, it's just nice to see maybe get some game time in an NHL debut, maybe a couple of points here and there. A first career goal would be awesome. So I'm not really expecting a whole lot. If he somehow manages to seize like a a long-term fourth line position, I guess, uh, from Gabriel Bork or, or Logan Shaw, I'd be pretty happy about that, because neither of those guys are, are all that skilled. Chibasov at least has a little more upside than some of the other guys, even if he's not exactly the world's most prolific goal scorer himself. Aside from Chibasov nearing an NHL debut, Ken Weeb and Murata Tesh both reported that Nate Beaulieu is actually coming back in t- uh, for tomorrow's game against the Blues. I'm not sure if I'm actually excited about that, because the last time Beaulieu played, he wasn't so good. Actually, his season in general has been pretty wretched, so... Um, I, I'm happy that he's healthy, but as far as his on-ice performance is concerned, I'm not expecting a whole lot. I think that Beaulieu is basically more Sabisa and Boteto, and quite frankly, I wouldn't be happy if he replaces either of Kulikov or Niku. I think both of those guys deserve to stay with the, with the uh, current NHL squad. Neither should be sitting on the bench right now, and one of Sabisa and Boteto are a little bit more expendable. If I had to choose, I guess I'd probably bench Sabisa. I think Potato is a little more capable, but that's all pretty relative and marginal at this point. So, yeah, I I mean, Bolu Potato is, 
a third pairing. I mean, it'll do stuff. I don't know if it's going to be effective. At some point, like, I've just stopped caring about the third pairing because it's always going to be pretty bad for this team, at least as far as the season is concerned, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So who cares? It's going to be what it is. As for the rest of tonight's podcast, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking about the Jets' first power play unit because I feel like we've got to talk about it since it continues to be one of Winnipeg's weak spots right now. And then the rest of the episode, I thought it'd be fun to take a bit of a break from hockey and talk about, generally speaking, some of my favorite athletes across multiple sports. And some of these are, are going to be hockey-related, some might not be. You'll you'll have to just kind of wait and see which ones I pick. As far as concerns the Jets' power play, I feel like I saw a couple of tweets about it last night because people are getting annoyed. And I think it's pretty fair when the Jets' first power play unit played something like uh, six minutes very nearly, while the second power play unit had like 30 total seconds, which is pretty bad when you think about it. Uh, as far as the Jets' first power play unit not really being all that effective, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that, uh, you know, the first person that people will point at is Neil Pionk, which is fair, because Pionk just doesn't seem to know how to get his pass to line A quickly. What's also happened, though, is that that, that whole power play unit is very static, in my opinion. I feel like they all telegraph their passes and stuff because... They all have the same routine moments. When they all collapse together, it's usually Wheeler on the right flank after he gets a pass because either the initial line A shot is blocked or line A recognizes that Pionk didn't get it to him fast enough, so he has to pass it backwards and kind of retreat a bit. And then Shifley is kind of just sitting in the low slot area, but he's really not in a position to take a shot. Wheeler then just kind of hangs onto the puck and, and cycles it back and forth, but generally speaking, the Jets just kind of float around and don't really seem to uh, attack the nut that much. Even last season, I felt like their power play, broken as it was, still tried to do some weird stuff, like Wheeler at least would try taking shots here and there, but now they just all kind of stand around and wait for things to happen. And then when they do take a shot, it's usually off of line A's stick, and by the time the pass gets to him, it's totally ineffective because the goalie already has the read. The Jets also don't really have, like, a net side bumper like they used to have with Stastny and Hayes, which for me is kind of a problem because that nut front bumper was fantastic for feeding Shifley in the slot. It also forced the PK Diamond to cheat a little bit, which opens up line A, or, in some ways, opens up Shifley a bit more in the slot to actually get his, his shot off and, and one-time it. So, I feel like right now, a lot of the usual threats from the Winnipeg Jets power play unit have all been taken offline. If they want to change that math, I'd actually think about trying, say, Ehlers in Pionk's place, because I think Ehlers can actually get that pass off. You can also try Morrissey, but Morrissey, as a left-handed D, he's a little bit slow in, in getting that pass off as well. He's faster than Pionk, but I don't know that he's really all that great of a power, power play quarterback. Ehlers, though, I think could actually do it, although Maurice probably will never accept having five forwards out there. Even though it really doesn't make that much of a difference in my opinion, I just don't think he'd go for it. They could also take Connor off that unit, because sometimes Connor doesn't really add anything. Maybe have like Roslovic occupy that that uh, net side bumper, or even Andrew Kopp. Kopp might be a better choice just because he's got pretty good passing and distribution, and he's also got a nice physical presence, so he could actually cl clear out that crease area get the pass to Shifley, or create space from behind the net. I know at this point it's kind of wishful thinking, but it'd be nice to have a few options on that first power play unit, because right now it's just too stagnant, too static, and it's just not working out very well. Winnipeg has like 6 billion shooters, and none of them are actually scoring all that many goals, so obviously something is wrong with the Jets, and it's going to have to come down to the coaching staff figuring out the fact that the way that their players are working right now is not really generating enough.
With the Jets talk out of the way, I thought it'd be fun to move to the other part of the show, which is going to talk about some of my favorite athletes across all sorts of disciplines. We'll start with some of the hockey players first, just because there are a couple of pretty good picks. Um, as far as like defenders go, I feel like Dustin Bufflin was always going to be one of my choices. Bufflin is big, beefy, he exudes skill, actually quite a bit of it, which is, um, for a guy his size and for the kind of style of hockey that he plays, something of a rarity. I think Gudis may be the only one who kind of comes close to the same sort of at least marriage of actually skilled defending and physical play, but the difference is Bufflin is so much better at everything, including his attacking presence um, and his ability to bomb shots from the point. Dustin's truly one of the most versatile threats in the NHL, and even though he's not actively playing anymore, I think if you look at all of his old highlights, you'd realize that you know, we were truly blessed to get to watch him while we while we got to see him because he's truly a one-of-a-kind player. I also really enjoy watching, you know, Kale McCarr. Uh, he cheats a lot, actually, but McCarr is also extremely dynamic. So even though he's not all that great at his defensive positioning and stuff, the fact that he can just kind of carve open defensive units in the other end of the ice is really fun. He's got really good edge work, and I enjoy just the way that he stick handles between defenders, and he's got something of a, a little bit of a deceptive approach because... He kind of cuts in, he's got nice stutter steps and fakes. He's just a really dynamic skater, and I feel like he's kind of not really a defenseman, but he does have some, well, I guess we can call him like a, a fourth fourth forward, because that's basically the role that he plays, but, uh, you know, coming from the back end instead. You know, he's got a great shot too, and I feel like he gets to use that one a lot, and he's scored quite a few points this season. His teammate Nathan McKinnon is equally as fun to watch, although the McKinnon has an even more explosive skating stride, and McKinnon is just an unholy threat in front of the net. Nathan last year was kind of like our substitute McDavid since Connor didn't get into the playoffs, but McKinnon on the other hand, man, that dude is just, he's like a one-man wrecking crew, and sometimes when the Avs aren't playing that well, McKinnon can kind of make them look like a much better team than they are. I think McKinnon's ability to change the the complexion of an entire game with a, a single shift and his ability to just take over all zones of the ice is something to behold. I've never really seen somebody combine so much speed, skill, and pure offensive talent other than, like, Austin Matthews, maybe. McDavid has that same ability, but I think McKinnon is actually a little bit better at just controlling events on the ice, like McDavid does in some respects. McKinnon isn't, you know, quite as heady as, as McDavid is, and I think McKinnon is more sort of a... a a bit of a direct approach in a lot of respects. He just sort of powers his way through things, and he can power his way to the front of the net, and then absolutely roof his shot with a beautiful release. Another guy who's made something of a career of driving to the net and scoring with an unbelievable shot has been Alexander Ovechkin, who is two goals away from 700 now. I can't believe I get to see that in my lifetime, and truly it's a very special race, and it's something that we may never see again. You know, Gretzky's goal-scoring record came during eras of hockey where the goalies really didn't, you know, even get close to stopping the puck. So all of the totals are a bit inflated in a lot of respects, and it's almost impossible to compare that to the modern era of hockey. And yet here we are, almost 30 years, 40 years on, and and Gretzky's getting close to uh, having his record broken. Ovechkin is such a unique player in that he has this huge physical presence and like an extremely beefy, bulky frame that is just designed to score goals from all angles. Um, whether he's slapping it in, whether he's driving towards the net and picking a corner, 
or he's kind of squeezing one through with just the strength of his of his release and the ability to find gaps in coverage. He's really a fantastic forward, and I feel like we've all been blessed to see him for as long as we have. He's got some compatriots in the form of, you know, Patrick Liney and a few other guys, but I, I don't think anyone's ever going to play the game quite like, you know, uh, Ovechkin has. Ovechkin is a very unique skater. He's very physical. He's almost like a power forward with uh, with some sniper tendencies. So, you know, it's just not rare. That, it's pretty rare that you see somebody with that kind of skill set. A lot of the goal scorers these days are kind of lean skills, skilled speed machines, and, and Ovechkin is almost from a different era of hockey in some respects. In women's hockey, we also have a couple of really, really fantastically talented players in, I think, Marie-Philippe Poulon, who has been one of Team Canada's brightest skaters for many years now. I've, I don't actually get to watch the Team Canada roster all that much, but every time I do, Poulon has been one of the most prevalent contributors. And uh, every time the U.S. plays Canada and she's involved, she's one of their most dangerous scoring threats. And, like, the U.S. is a great program, so for Canada... And Poulon to really pose a threat says a lot about just how good Poulon and that squad is. On the U.S. side of things, I'm definitely a fan of of Megan Keller, who's got a huge frame, very tall, very powerful defenseman. She's got great edge work, she's got a great shot, and she knows how to box opponents out very effectively. And uh, she's very young, so she'll be part of the U.S. women's team going forward and become a cornerstone for that back line. I'd also be remiss to, to avoid mentioning Jocelyn and Monique Lamoureux, who have been some of the most productive skaters for the U.S. women's team for some time now. While they aren't as young as they used to be, they're still productive, and during the last Olympics where the U.S. women's team won gold, the Lamoureux sisters were pivotal contributors on almost every single sequence. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be sucky that when, you know, the, the Lamoureux sisters and Hillary Knight all retire, but... You know, we got to see some really great years from them, and they still have a good deal of time left, maybe to even go for one more uh, Olympic Olympic run in a couple of seasons. If not, there are a whole host of young women who all have a ton of talent and who are going to be part of a really great U.S. team's future core down the road. Before we continue our nice little list of top athletes across multiple sports, I thought I'd give you a quick heads up about some opportunities for those who are local Winnipeg businesses and listening in. By now, you've probably heard about some of the great opportunities that we have available for advertisers who are advertising with the Locked On Podcast Network, but what you may not know is that the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Winnipeg Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach Winnipeg fans on a routine basis. Our podcast listeners are unique, and if you're looking to connect with Winnipeg Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, please feel free to drop us a line at Locked On Podcasts. Local fans love to support local businesses. Be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com advertising and drop us a line. Our team will work with you step-by-step to help achieve the greatest level of locked-on advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Outside of hockey, the world of pro sports has quite a few legendary players, and I feel like the first one that I, I think of when I think of somebody who is a living legend who's one of the greatest players that I've ever gotten to follow the career of for any period of time, has to be Lionel Messi from FC Barcelona. Messi, in so many ways, represents an era of football, like a golden age. He is one of the true heralds of 
this modern modern style of his game where he's almost a mini maestro and there's never going to be another Messi because of the way that he could view the field, attack space unlike anyone else, have the vision to set up his, his teammates for perfect goals. He also had one of the best boots in the business and you could see him pick off corners on amazing free kicks, shoot from distance, shoot in close. He's just an all-around, multi-purpose, versatile threat anywhere within the final attacking third. He could pull off plays and see plays develop before he even made the pass or, or aerial lobs well in advance, you know, 60 steps ahead. He was that genius, and he continues to be one of the most pivotal performers on that Barcelona squad. You know, he is getting older, unfortunately, but while he's still around, we, we get to witness some of the greatest footballing that you'll ever see, and every time he scores is just another tally in a long run of incredible career goals. Admittedly, I don't watch a whole lot of tennis, but I, I feel like you have to talk about Venus and Serena Williams, who have both been such true pioneers in the field. I'm not a big tennis fan, but I certainly have seen some of their matches. I've gotten to follow bits and pieces of their career as they continue to break boundaries and set records. And, and you know, it's kind of tough because they're starting to wind down a bit. I feel like a lot of the younger players are, are catching up to them a bit. But both sisters are still so good at their craft, and they were such forces within the women's tennis industry, and really the tennis industry as a whole, in helping to make women's tennis a true powerhouse, and especially with, with players of color. And it's it's a pretty rare sight because... You know, a lot of pro sports are very expensive, and a lot of minorities don't tend to have great representation. One of the biggest barriers for minorities in sports, especially, you know, ethnic minorities, is there's not a whole lot of, of exemplars of, of people of color who have gone on to participate in fairly expensive sports. You know, for kids growing up, they like to relate to people who look like them, and if they don't see any in, represented in these sports... They might not think about even pursuing those options down the road. I think we as hockey fans have certainly seen that, but Venus and Serena Williams forged the way in women's tennis and truly got to put on one of the most unbelievable international sporting careers you'll ever see. When they retire, it's going to be kind of crappy because they were such a joy to watch. And, you know, even as somebody who's not a tennis fan, I can appreciate the immense talent and skill and the hard work and dedication that they've put towards the sport. I'm going a little bit back towards European football for uh, another pick who's actually from my favorite team, Borussia Dortmund, and he was actually the first guy that I associated with this team. Even before I really followed them avidly, I knew his face and his name, and that's Marco Reus. Marco, some people call like the lost German genius because he's had so many injuries throughout his career that have kind of derailed his ability to really make an impact in the sport. When he was in his younger years, he was considered a generational talent and perhaps the heir to the German midfield throne. He plays as like a central attacking mid, or, or occasionally like a false nine, or even a wing if you ask him to. But as far as any Dortmund fans will tell you, it's more so that he actually represents Dortmund's work ethic, its dedication to the locale, and its pride in wearing the black and yellow colors that really defines Marco. It doesn't hurt that when he's at his best, he can also score breathtaking goals and promotes a ton of offense through his critical passes, his great vision, and his on-field leadership. But more than anything, it's that he lives and breathes everything that Dortmund is, and he truly is BVB's most important representative, and really the face of that team's entire organization, I would say. Our final athlete is going to be from my hometown, Baltimore, and that is, uh, <laughs> I think everyone's going to know this one, Lamar Jackson, who has taken over the starting quarterback role and really run with it. Lamar is 
I don't even know how to describe his game because it's, you know, people have said it's like Michael Vick, but I don't think that that really does it justice. Lamar is such a versatile dual threat quarterback who really adds more layers than just two attacking routes because he can run. He can throw pretty accurately even under pressure, but really it's his ability to recognize um, scoring opportunities, passing routes, and read play at a very high level despite the fact that a lot of times he has to improvise things on the fly. I think he has a pretty high play reading IQ and I feel like it's very underrated in a lot of respects. He's in a very complicated offensive system and yet he's able to thrive and succeed because the team has given him the tools to work with and he himself possesses an unbelievably talented skill set, physical traits. Everything has worked out for him to become one of the NFL's elite quarterbacks and he's only been playing for like a season and a half. He just won the MVP award and it's certainly for good reason because he truly was, you know, for Baltimore a shining light, a beacon of hope for the city and truly one of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever gotten to see. And I can't wait to see him eventually hoist a trophy and get a ring because I feel like it's just a matter of time. It's not a question of if, it's when. Alright guys, thanks for listening, and as always, have a great night. Go Jets go!